Two weeks ago, I directed your attention to verses 12 and 13, and I do so again. I had four questions that I thought needed to be answered, and uh, we answered one of them. And now we have three more to take up this morning, or perhaps two and a half. Verse 12. So then, brethren, stop, stop right there. The so then at the front of that verse directs your attention to verse 11, which talks about being raised from the dead someday by the work of the Holy Spirit. So we owe the Holy Spirit our future resurrection of these mortal bodies. The Spirit who dwells in you will give life someday to your mortal bodies, just like he raised Jesus from the dead. So then, brethren... We are not debtors. We're not under obligation to the flesh. It's never done anything for us. This old rebellious self of ours. You don't owe the flesh anything but war, enmity, killing. Verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit... This is whom you owe everything. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you don't owe the flesh anything. Rather, you owe the Spirit everything. Verse 11, you owe Him your future resurrection. Verse 13, you owe Him every ounce of energy that goes into persevering unto that resurrection. If you make it to that resurrection, you owe it to the Spirit, not the flesh. And in that resurrection, you will owe it to the Spirit, not the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh. Don't pay for your own destruction. Don't switch sides and go over to the flesh and kill yourself in doing it. You owe him nothing but war. And you owe the Spirit everything. He's the one who enables you to make war on the flesh and kill the deeds of the body. And he's the one who will one day bring it all to consummation by raising us from the dead into everlasting joy and life. If you try this morning or any time to survive as a Christian... Any other way than by the Spirit, as verse 13 says, by the Spirit. If you try to survive as a Christian any other way than by the Spirit, you will die. That's what I tried to show last time. The threat is real and the demand is an all-out fight against sin. In other words, until you believe that life is war and that the stakes are your own soul, you will probably play at Christianity. Are you playing? There will probably be no blood earnestness in your life about warfare on your own sin. There will probably be very little vigilance, no passion, no wartime mindset. And if that's where you are this morning, 
your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep, into a peacetime mindset. And oh, how many millions of professing Christians have been lulled to sleep and into a peacetime mindset. Nothing is at stake here. Nothing very serious. And God in his mercy and providence has brought you here this morning. And this message is designed by him to waken you to the seriousness of what is at stake and how to join him in the battle against the sins that make war against your own soul. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it. By force. Do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Take it violently. That's what Jesus says. We're not playing a game. If you want to go to heaven, you don't play games. You don't play church. You don't play Christianity. You don't mouth syllables. You take it violently. Now, what in the world does that mean? Listen to the answer of Jesus. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be cast into eternal fire. Do you want to enter life? Get violent. Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot if they cause you to stumble. This is a radical picture of an assault and a violent warfare on our own sin by which we enter into life or not. Now lay that verse on top of Romans 8.13. Romans 8.13 says, If by the Spirit... You are killing, putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you would enter into life, cut off your hand, your foot. Kill it. If you want to enter into life. But if you want to play, if you don't like the idea of violence against yourself, you're in a precarious Very precarious. So wake up, believers. Wake up. If you're playing, if you're coasting, if you have a peacetime mindset, if you think Christianity is a settle-in, all-is-well kind of 
ho-hum thing, you better wake up. The stakes are very high. Get a wartime mindset. Stop making peace with ears and eyes and hands and feet and tongues. Stop making peace with the members of your body that sin. Kill them. In this warfare, traitors are put to death. If your hands are like Judas, if your eyes are like Judas and they go over to the side of the enemy, pluck them out. If your hand is like Judas, it gets tired of being an instrument of righteousness and goes over to the enemy, cut it off. No games here. Are you serious? Are you a Christian? I'm asking you. Are you playing? Just toying, just playing. Ed Welch wrote a book last year, published it last year, called A Banquet in the Grave. It's a great title. It's taken from a proverb. It's a book on addiction. Addictions. I commend it to you. This is a sentence from an article that he wrote in preparation for that book. There's a mean streak to authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings. And I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war. If you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war. He says, I'm continuing the quote. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or rustling of the leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. There is a mean, violent streak to the true Christian life. But now let's very carefully ask, violence against whom? Or what? Not other people. Not other people. Not other people. Not Muslims. Not Hindus. Not Buddhists. Not atheists. Not secularists. 
not nominal Christians, not wives or husbands or children or ordinary bosses, but on every impulse in our soul to be violent to other people. Violence, a mean streak in Christianity against our own selves and all in us that would make peace with sin and a settling in peacetime mindset. We make war on that in us. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves. All enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, chocolate, alcohol, pornography, money, the praise of man, approval of others, power, fame. This is our enemy. This is where we make war. It is a violence against all racism in our souls, all sluggish indifference to injustice in our souls, a violence against all indifference to poverty and indifference to abortion in our souls. Did you know that in the warfare of Romans, Satan doesn't show up until chapter 16? We tend to think of spiritual warfare as this, this little thing where you find some way to pray or some way to lay hands on or some way to do a, a Satan thing. Well, that's important. Believe me, that's important. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's important. But you know what? It's not nearly as important as this. Because the only foothold Satan has in your life is your flesh and your sin. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason we go to hell is sin. Much more important than fighting Satan is fighting sin. This warfare in verse 13 is vastly more important than figuring Satan out. Get that. My biggest enemy is not Satan. My biggest enemy is John Piper. Fallen, fleshly, rebellious, hostile, selfish, lusting, power-grabbing, fame-loving John Piper is my biggest enemy. And he's the only reason I'll go to hell. Not Satan. Satan, you don't have nearly that kind of power. And therefore, I really care about us learning how to do this battle. Christianity is not a settle in, live at peace with the world the way it is religion. Like most Christians live their daily lives. Verse 13. If by the Spirit you kill. There's a mean streak in Christianity, and it's not against anybody else but ourselves. In fact, it's against the meanness of ourselves against other people. If you feel like you're a mean person against others, a harsh person, a critical person, you know your problem? You haven't learned to make war. 
You haven't learned to be mean. You haven't learned to get violent against your violence, against your meanness, against your critical spirit. And you complain of it, talk about it. But have you made war 24-7 against it? So we left three questions unanswered. Here they are. Let's talk about them. Number one, what are the deeds of the body in verse 13? Number two, what does it mean to kill them? What is killing them? And number three, how do you do it by the spirit, not the flesh? Number one, what are the deeds of the body that we are to kill? To answer this question, remember chapter 8 in Romans has seven chapters in front of it. We've been there for four years. And they are not in front of it by accident. Chapter 6 is all about this issue. This was what chapter 6 was about. And therefore, the light to shed on these quick summary verses in verse 8 as he sweeps the field in these glorious statements in chapter 8 is go back to the foundations in chapter 6 in this case. So let's do that with two or three verses from chapter 6. Number 1 give you three verses from chapter 6 that shed light on what are the deeds of the body that you are to kill. What does he mean? Chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members, that's your hands, your feet, your sexual organs, your eyes, your ears, your nose. Do not present your members, your bodies, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, Present yourselves to God and as those who've been brought from death to life. Present your members, hands, so on, to God as instruments of righteousness. So what are the deeds of the body that we are to put to death? You see it in that first line there. It's the body becoming an instrument of unrighteousness. When your body decides it's going to do a Judas thing on you and go over to the other side in a Romans 7 down experience, kill it, make war on it, cut it off, gouge it out, don't play games, don't act as though I'm justified by faith alone apart from works of the law, it really don't matter if I do a little sin today. Christians don't talk like that. Second verse to consider is verse 12, just in front of that one. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. So what are the deeds of the body that we should put to death? It's when the mortal body is taken captive by sin... And is about to obey its desires. And at that point you see it coming and you kill it. You get violent, you get mean with your own leaning into temptation. 
One other verse to shed light on the deeds of the body in this act of killing. Verse 6 of chapter 6. I mention this verse because we need to be reminded of what's Christian about this warfare. There's a lot of non-Christians who make war on immorality in themselves. There's a lot of asceticism. There's a lot of sitting on top of pillars for weeks. There's a lot of moral improvement programs that have nothing to do with Christ. What's unique about Christianity in this warfare? Let's read verse 6 of chapter 6. Our old self, that's the flesh, was crucified with him, Jesus. Jesus, in order that our body of sin, our sinful body, might be done away with, obliterated, canceled out, put to death, so that the body we have is not that kind of body anymore, but a body in the instrumentality of righteousness and not unrighteousness, so that we no longer would be slaves to sin. Now, let me highlight the uniqueness of Christianity in this verse. Union with Jesus Christ in his dying is the key to putting to death the deeds of the body. Our old self was crucified with him in order that something practical might flow from that glorious union with Christ in his dying. How do you get unified with Christ? Faith alone, apart from works of the law, unites you with Jesus so that he becomes your righteousness and your pardon and your death. So that something practical might succeed in your life, namely the putting to death of what is dead. That's Christianity. You're already dead if you've been united with Jesus, who together with you died the one death that you need to die. You're dead. Christians are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. What you do when you put to death the deeds of the body is become, in practice, what you are in Christ. This is Christianity. This is why it's not legalism. This is why it's not a trembling, oh, I've got to somehow get myself right with God by putting to death the deeds of the body. If you approach it like that, you perish. You don't approach it like that. You know by faith, I'm His, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm justified, I'm in Him, I'm dead already. I've passed through judgment into eternal life. And the mark of that is hatred for sin. Because you love Him so much for that. And if you hate sin, you Get violent with it in your life. And the remnants of it look so alien and so foreign and so contradictory to who you really are that you hate it and you make war on it. Life is war till the day we die. Isn't that what Paul said just before he was about to die? I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. I have 
fought the good fight right to the end. Satan won't ever quit. Your flesh won't ever quit in this life. But it's dead. We can only kill the sin that has already been killed when we were killed with Jesus. I'll say that again. That's my summary of this point. We can only kill the sin that has already been killed when we were killed in Jesus. That's Christianity. That's what makes the warfare unique. If you just say, I guess what he's saying is, a Christianity is just a moral self-improvement program. You just missed it all. If you say that, you missed it all. Christ is the key. He has died for me. I have died in with him. I'm a dead man and a living man. I have passed through judgment into life. And now, in him and by the Spirit which I have in him and the Spirit alone, do I make war on what is so alien to me now. That's question number one. What are the deeds of the body? The deeds of the body are the actions of your body that are about to happen taken captive by lust or pride or self-pity or selfishness or any form that the flesh has. You know the works of the flesh. When those powers are about to move this body of mine into sin, kill it. Second question. What is this killing? What is this putting to death? What do you do? Answer. It is the suffocating of the lifeline. The cutting off of the lifeline. Of the deeds of the body. So that they suffocate. Deeds are not the main problem in the Christian life. That's the end of the process of death. Deeds have roots. Sin is deeper than deeds. What did Jesus say? The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. So you got a problem with your tongue? And remember what James said, if you can get the tongue under control, everything comes under control. This is the last one to come under control. If you get this one under control, if this one can be killed, if it can stop being an instrument of unrighteousness, everything will come under control. So Jesus says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And these defile a man, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Oh, Jesus was so baffled by the Pharisaic exaltation of small things at the neglect of great things. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. 
He says, don't you realize that washing your hands is nothing before a meal. It's what's coming out of your mouth while you talk at the table that's damning you. And that's coming from your heart. And therefore, when he said, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, lop off your tongue, this is, I hope this is obvious, lest anybody go out of here and maim yourself. What good would it do if you chopped off your hand and gouged out an eye? Nothing. I mean, you understand this, don't you? What he's saying is, we got a heart problem here. And our warfare on our heart must be of the intensity and the vigilance as though you were chopping off hands and gouging out eyes. I mean, if anybody goes out of here this afternoon and pokes out your eye or chops off your hand, you have none, nothing but make yourself more wicked. It's a heart thing. Out of the heart, the hand does this stuff. Out of the heart, the eyes go after that. Out of the heart, the mouth does that to them. We got a warfare here, and it's not a warfare. When, when he says, put to death the deeds of the body, he means these deeds come from somewhere. And you got to cut off the lifeline of what makes your hands do that. <laughs> your hands don't do that because of nerves and muscles. <laughs> That's not the problem. In fact, if you cut it off, it can't be an instrument of righteousness. Your hands do that because there's this moral, spiritual reality about our souls that are enslaved to sin, that send these messages out to take that that you shouldn't take or say what you shouldn't say. It's a heart war here. So what's the root? I'm asking what... What is it to kill these deeds that have roots down here, inside? What's the root? Look at verse 7 of chapter 8. Remember, he's contrasting flesh and spirit in verses 12 and 13, where we're studying right now. And he's already done that two or three times in the verses, so it will be helpful to look at one of them, like Romans chapter 8, verse 7. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. The root of the deeds of the body is the flesh that is hostile to God. It's my hostility to God. I don't like God. I don't like him. I like money, cocaine, chocolate. And they just feel better than God does. That's a hostility to God. That's a rejection of God. That's the flesh. That's the essential nature of the flesh. And that's the root of these deeds. And therefore, it must be slain. We must choke off, cut off the blood supply of the flesh, cut off the air pipe of the flesh, lest it provide life to our bodies. 
to do evil. Third question. How do you do that by the Spirit? Last question. How do you do that by the Spirit? I'm going to give you the answer in three steps. One, two, three. And each step has a verse with it. Step number one. Notice in verses five and six of Romans eight. Just backing up and seeing the context a little more broadly. Romans eight verses five and six. Paul is speaking now about the flesh and the spirit, the same pair that he's contrasting in 12 and 13. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who are according to the Spirit, now that's what we want to be. We want to be people who, whose lives are in accord with the Spirit, who, in whom the Spirit is holding sway, who are led by the Spirit, whose, whose deeds are being put to death by the Spirit. We want to be people like that. And so he, he's talking about what that is here, I believe. Those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death. We saw that in verse 13, first half of the verse. But the mind that is set on the Spirit is life. We saw that in the second half of verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And here he's saying, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you'll live. And if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you'll die. So my first answer to the question... How do you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body is set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Do you know that the mind is a muscle? It's a moral muscle. Jesus and the apostles assume this everywhere that you can set it on a thing. I can take my hand and set it on this pulpit. And everybody knows that because there's all kinds of muscles and tendons and stuff here. And you can set it on a place. You can do the same thing with your mind, the Bible says. You can set it on a thing. You can fix it on a thing. You can rivet it on a thing. You can take a thing into the mind and hold it there if you're willing to fight. We're very lazy when it comes to our minds. Even people who work out a lot with their bodies can be lazy with their minds. If it causes a little mental effort, we check out. If you check out, you won't ever, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Because Paul says, those who are according to the Spirit have a mindset, a heart set, an attitude set on the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. That's step number one in the answer. That's not the whole answer. Here's step one. Step number two. What are the things of the Spirit? What does he mean? Rivet your mind or set your heart or attend to or be preoccupied with the things of the Spirit. Well, what are they? What are they? Now here I take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 and 14. And the reason I go here is because this is the only other place in the New Testament that that phrase occurs. The things of the Spirit. That identical Greek phrase is used only here. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. 
And he's talking about his own inspired teaching, the word of God. And he says, verse 13, which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Words taught by the Spirit, he's claiming to speak as an inspired apostle. But a natural man, I'm jumping to verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. There it is, from chapter 8, verse 6. The things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So what's he referring to when he says that the natural man spurns the things of the Spirit and the spiritual man welcomes and embraces the things of the Spirit? He's referring to the Word of God, his own Word. Words, he says, taught not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. That's why they're spiritual. They're taught by the Spirit. He's speaking them in words, taught by the Spirit. And he says, but the natural man won't welcome them. Pushes them away. They're foolish. Sounds silly. All these Christian spiritual talk. This whole sermon this sounds foolish to me. If it does, the likelihood is you're a natural person. You don't have the Holy Spirit illuminating your life. You put it here and there's no taste buds. It may be honey, but if your taste buds are all dead, it doesn't taste like anything but a soft mush. That's the way the gospel sounds to many people. Just soft mush, not honey. Because there's no living taste buds. They're all seared. They're all dead. And you need to cry out right now. Oh God, life. Give me life in my tongue. Give me life in my soul. So that when this lands on me, the spiritual things, the word of God comes, I embrace them and don't push them away as foolishness or mush. And so my second step is to say, how do you put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit, step one, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Step two, what are those things? The Word of God. Spoken by the authoritative, inspired apostles and prophets. And some of you are ahead of me here because you know where I'm going to go next. Not till I get to step three, but just to put together the Word of God and the killing instrument of the Spirit, the sword. Right? The Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17, is the sword of the Spirit. Why does he call it the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, 17, and then take us to Romans 8, 13, and say, by the Spirit, kill! Why do you suppose? Answer, it is the Word of God that releases the power of the Spirit to kill. If you want to put sin to death in your life, you've got to have a sword. The sword is the Word. The Word is the channel along which the Spirit moves in power. Word and Spirit, Word and Spirit. We'll never separate these things. You say, well, is it the Spirit or is it the Word? It is the Word permeated by the Spirit. It is the Spirit through the Word. You never separate these. The sword and the hand that holds it for one. It's the sword of the Spirit, and you can kill a sin with this sword. Step number three. Last step. What do you do 
to bring the power of the Spirit to bear upon your addictions, your temptations, these recurrent enslavements that take the body captive and make them eat what they shouldn't eat and see what they shouldn't see and hear what they shouldn't hear and say what they shouldn't say and do what they shouldn't do with sexual organs or hands or feet. What do you do to bring to bear the Word and the power of the Spirit on this temptation such that it dies? And the answer is given. Galatians 3.5. Galatians 3.5 says, So then, does he who provides the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law? The answer to that is no. Or by hearing with faith. And the answer to that is yes. Faith. So I'm done, except for concluding sum up here. Okay, here we all are. We're all assaulted. We all have flesh that tries to rear its crucified head. And betray us and take us captive to be what we are not. And we vindicate who we are by whether we're at home with that alien temptation And make peace with it or whether we make war on it. And I said, if you're going to make war on it, by the Spirit, not the flesh, but by the Spirit. Not legalistically, but in reliance upon God's enabling Spirit. You must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now we've seen step two. That means setting your mind on the Word of God. Stocking your mind with the Word of God. Do you wonder why we call them fighter verses? Wonder no more. So let's just take today's fighter verse as an illustration. I'm going to set my mind on the things of the Spirit as the temptation comes in this writing leave to write out of vanity. Right? Sex is not the problem in these next four weeks. Could be. I don't think it will be. Vanity could be. More likely will be. Vanity. Another book. Name on it. That's deadly. That's deadly. Ruin a ministry, ruin a soul, ruin a family, ruin an eternity. So, how do you make war on that before it takes charge of a hand at a keyboard and out of vanity produces an idol? You set your mind not on the praise of men, but on the things of the Spirit. What's that? All that the Word of God stands for and is and reveals. All the beauties of God. And what's that? One day in that courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in my God's house than to dwell in the famous tents of the wicked. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. No good thing, John Piper, will he withhold from you if you kill this sin. 
You can't lose. Kill it. What's the issue there now? Faith. Faith. Do you believe verse 12 of Psalm 84? And this cuts right across everybody's heart in this room right now. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe him? That's the issue. It's a faith issue. The bottom line issue in how to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is that the Spirit moves with faith in the things of the Spirit, the Word of God. If you wondered why we call them fighter verses, wonder no more. They are our sword. They are our hope. They are our life. And we will trust them. And with them, slay every temptation that comes our way. And should we stumble and fall as we do every day, we will hate our fall, rise up, betake ourselves to the cross, reestablish our standing in Jesus by faith alone, and fight a 